Welcome to Sunstorm, where we get real about what's happening in the world and what we are doing about it, because we are the light in the storm. Hi, I'm Alicia Garza. And I'm Ai-jen Poo, and today on the pod we have my dear, dear friend Heather McGee. I'm so excited. Heather, I know a lot about you and I love you dearly, but tell our listeners who you are and why you're fresh. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fresh because of my sisters. That's why I'm fresh. Um, (laughs) My name is Heather McGee. I was born on the south side of Chicago. And when I was 33 years old, I became the president of a think tank called Demos that advances solutions to inequality in America. Last year, I stepped down to become a fellow, to write a book, to have my now 14-month-old son, to do more media, have more conversations like this. Um, and I'm I'm living my best life right now. You really that. are living your best life. I heard that. Your She's very like, best life. I'm living my best life. All right, so we're going to get this conversation going with what organizers do to get a conversation going, which is icebreakers. Icebreakers. All right. Who is your favorite historical figure? W.E.B. You know mm. what? You better come through with this Black Reconstruction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> come on with it. What's your comfort food? Biscuits. Gravy? Biscuits. Butter? No, just butter. Just mm. give me the butter. No honey? No jam? No. no. Okay. A good biscuit needs nothing but butter. But it's got to be a good biscuit. Can't Mm -hmm. get stuck in your throat. Okay. What is your favorite? You're going to be good at this one. What is your favorite inspirational quote? You know, this is funny. I thought I said this. (laughs) But... You're like, I'm pretty sure my favorite quote is mine. Allow myself to introduce myself. Um, I thought I said this, but then I was listening to Brian Stevenson. I was in Montgomery the other day, and I was listening to Brian Stevenson talk, and he said it, and I was like, he probably said yeah, it first. He's <laughs> probably <laughs> um, But it is something like, think of our ancestors who had to face so much more with so much less. Mm. Oh, I just got goosebumps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what job would you have if you weren't an activist? I'd be a childcare worker. Wow. I I really would. Every time I drop my son off at daycare, I just want to sit cross-legged on the floor and stay. Yeah. French fries or tater tots? I think tater tots are a microaggression. Oh, wow. I did not see that coming. I know. I I did not see that coming. I was like, yeah, nobody has said tater tots. (laughs) I'm exaggerating, but it really reminds me of flavorless institutional food. It's just too good. (laughs) It is too good. God, that is severe. Okay, so then let's get into your French fry game. Are you a skinny fry or a steak fry person? I think it's really hard to get a steak fry that isn't dry in the middle. And then a condiment for a fry? I don't think a good fry needs a condiment. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I'm like an anti-sauce person. Oh, anti-sauce. Or or just I'm real abstemious with the okay. sauce. You know, it's like... Judicious. Yeah. I would just like to point out that you used a word that I have never heard before <laughs> in know. my life. That is a word. And this is like one of the reasons I love you, but... Break that down for me. Say the word again. Abstemious. It's like judicious. It basically means um, I will often abstain from it. I use it sparingly. Abstemious. Mm -hmm. Heather just gave me the screensaver word of the day. (laughs) And today's word 
abstemious. <laughs> um, I can tell by this lightning round that we're about to get it on mm-hmm. today. <laughs> so let us jump right in. Heather McGee. Heather is one of my all-time favorite, favorite people. She's totally brilliant. Beyond. Beyond brilliant. But, you know, sometimes brilliant people can be, like, annoying because they're, like, too smart for you. Mm -hmm. Like, you just can't, like, catch a vibe. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I have never had that experience with Heather. Heather, I caught a vibe, and then I was like, oh, damn, she's really smart. Now I want to hang out all the Mm -hmm. time because she's heck of fun. (laughs) So because you're so brilliant and so fun, I just need to know, like, what are you up to these days? What's Mm. going on in your life? How did you get to this point? Well, I'm living in Chicago right now, which is so great because I grew up here. Um, But I've lived in Brooklyn for the past probably 10 years or so. But I'm in Chicago this fall for a fellowship at the University of Chicago's Institute of Politics. It's what David Axelrod started when he left the White House. Um, And I'm doing a seminar on policy advocacy for these students who are, I mean, when in doubt, just give the keys to the young people. I remember college like it was yesterday. And these young people, whether they're freshmen or grad students, are just spitting fire all the time. It's just really inspiring. But anyway, so that's why I'm in Chicago at this moment. My multi-year project right now is I'm working on a book. You know, I came to Demos really, I was a 22-year-old when I started working there. And I was obsessed with the question of what is wrong with the economy? And why is it that families like the families I grew up with on the south side of Chicago and the deindustrialization that it hit there first, thank you very much, before it, Mm -hmm. you know, has rolled over rural America with similar turns to drugs and violence, right? I wanted to know why and what was going on and why it was so hard for so many people to get ahead. And over the course of my 15 years working in economic policy advocacy, kept running up against racism. Mm -hmm. Not racism in the ways that I sort of walked into it thinking, which was people of color fare worse, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I knew that. (laughs) But what I kept running into was racism wasn't just a multiplier effect. It was a motivating mechanism for so many of the policies that were screwing everyone over. Over and over again, I looked at the financial crisis, which was something I I sadly had a front row seat to because at Demos we were working on the issue of debt and trying to stop the subprime mortgage crisis before it became the financial crisis. And I remember standing on a a street in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood of Chicago, a a black middle-class neighborhood so, so familiar to me. And yet this site, there were foreclosure and for sale signs flapping in the wind. Mm -hmm. on almost every street on that block. Mm -hmm. And it started there and nobody cared. Nobody Mm -hmm. with the power to stop it cared because people like us shouldn't have had those homes anyway. Mm -hmm. And then look what happened. Mm -hmm. So the name for my book that I really want to use is You Played Yourself. (laughs) Maybe you could name mine too. so good. When you're done with yours. You played yourself. The costs of racism to white people. You know what? That is actually really, really good. Um, Heather Sharice McGee for president, please. Oh, Mm. yeah. Mm. I'm ready for Mm. that. So um, one of my favorite moments in history was the moment that I opened up my social media and all over my social media feed was 
posting and reposting where you were randomly on C-SPAN. It was a moment of what I think is like radical empathy Mm. that is the kind that we need more of, right? Of Mm -hmm. like deep listening Mm -hmm. and, and like profound presence with another human being. And just tell us, like, what is it like to go viral? So, yeah, I was on this call-in television show. It's like a radio show on TV called Washington Journal. But so I go on the show. People are calling and asking me about jobs and wages and trade and taxes, the things I normally talk about. And then someone called in and, you know, the host identified him as Gary from North Carolina. And his first words were, I'm a white male and I am prejudiced. And now this is live television, and the entire shot is just a close-up of my face as I'm listening to this man. <laughs> and describe your face to me, please. <laughs> yeah. Describe you know, your face. I've seen it, but... It was appreciative <laughs> listening. You know, I was I had zero expression. Maybe my eyebrows went up a little, you know. But what was going on in your mind when he said this? Um, there was a little bit of, oh, it's on, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, C-SPAN has, like, racist callers, mm-hmm. right? That's, like, a thing in the Obama era particularly. Mm-hmm. Um But then it was also like, well, hallelujah, thank you for admitting it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You could have come on and said prejudiced stuff and not said I'm prejudiced. Right. Right. Or denied that you were prejudiced. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. And called me racist. Right. Yeah, that's a trick. For for saying anything in response. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was open. I was like, where is this going to go? And bring it, you know. And anyway, he went on to talk about why he was prejudiced, you know, black men and gangs and drugs and crime and what he saw on the news. And, you know, I'm like, OK, 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 OK. And then he said something that just like slapped me across the face and broke my heart all at once, which was, but I want to change. And I want to know what you can do to help me become a better American, he mm. said. I just opened my mouth. I said the first thing that came to me, which was thank you. Mm-hmm. for admitting your prejudice. And then I went on to just give him some ideas off the top of my head. I mean, I'm not like a, you know, racism coach. You know, this is not what I do. <laughs> but I am a black woman in America. What do you I... mean you're not a racism coach? You are a black woman in America. Right. You don't have the answer to how to solve racism for white people? But I don't think it's that hard. And I think if more of us got to the place of saying, I want to do this, I think we do ourselves sometimes a disservice by acting like, it's so intractable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We've we've had the public will to get over it, to truly, truly uproot it for a collective like dozen years in the mm-hmm. course of our American history, mm-hmm. right? And every single generation, it's a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we need to have a little bit more we shall overcome optimism mm-hmm. in this moment because there are more white people than certainly in, in recent memory um, and maybe ever who are signing up for the project. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, let's yes, we this. can do it. We can put a man on the moon. We invent the solar panel. We can do this. We, <laughs> we invented, invented racism. We can invent anti-racism. Mm. That was Let's deep. just sit, sit with, with that, that for a second. <sighs> so I answered Gary. I actually gave him some tips. You know, I was like, get to know these black people who are, you know, marauding through your imagination, right? You know, mm. integrate your life. I told him, turn off the news, mm-hmm. which overrepresents black crime and underrepresents white crime. Advertisement mm. for Color of Change, who hey. does great research on this. Boom, Alicia and boom. I are both on the board. Gang, gang. Um, and then I said, you know, basically get involved in something that's bigger than you where you're doing so, you know, shoulder to shoulder with people of color. Moment went viral. It was 8 million, you know, within a couple of weeks. Um, this Gary from North Carolina ended up finding me on Twitter. And Gary from North Carolina and I talked on the phone. 
He told me that he had followed my advice. He'd gone to the used bookstore in his town and gotten a whole bunch of books on black history and put them down on the counter and told the young woman behind the counter that he was working on his racism. Wow. Mm. You know, he he took some pride in this. This was yeah. like, okay, I'm I'm doing this, yeah. you know, and this this woman on the television has has told me how to do it and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. He said on that first phone call, he said it was like I had wiped the dust from a window and let the light in. Mm. I can't let these moments pass. Right. We need to dissect these, right? We do. Okay. We do. I mean, I think Ijen's description of radical empathy is really a strong one. And I want to just dive in really quickly to some of the things that he was talking about beforehand, right? Gangs, crime, thugs, all the things. Can you just talk a little bit about these code words Mm -hmm. that get used to describe bigger problems Mm -hmm. in our country? Like, there's a thousand and five Garys out there in every community who are seeing the same things. They're hearing the same messages. Where do those messages come from? Mm-hmm. What purpose do those kinds of narratives serve and how do they create more Garys? The idea that people of color and particularly black people are inherently criminal um, is a very old, well-marketed idea. And I am more interested in laying blame at the people who are selling that idea for their own profit than the people who are desperate enough to buy it. So to me, Gary is just someone buying this, right? Mm. Why is he buying it? It's making sense of a world that is confusing to him. Mm. Now, who's selling that idea? If someone's selling something, follow the money. We know that local news overrepresents black crime and underrepresents white crime. And then you've got Fox News, right? You've got the hate-for-profit machine that was made for political and economic profit. And the formula is Muslim terrorists for breakfast, you know, Mexican gang members for lunch, and black thugs for dinner. Like, that is Mm. what they are feeding Mm. white Americans Mm. as an explanation for inequality, as an explanation for deindustrialization, for the jobs going away, for society changing in ways that make it harder for working people to get ahead— And it's an old explanation, Mm -hmm. and yet it's not true. Mm -hmm. But it's a very good scapegoating tactic. And I think things will really start to change when we start following the money and looking at the plutocrats in whose interest these messages are. And And plutocrats are? The men in top hats. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? Mm -hmm. The monopoly men. Exactly. They're the wealthy people who, who organize politically in order to keep the economic status quo in order to do things like stop climate change action. Mm -hmm. And because it's still a voting democracy, they have to convince a number of people to vote with them. And the way that they do that is by getting the majority of white people to vote, you know, with, in this case, the Republican Party. That's what it is today. But the idea that we can and should have more of a we can do this Mm -hmm. kind of attitude and spirit... I find the fact that your moment of radical empathy went viral to be incredibly hopeful. Do you have a theory about what it was? I think it's because millions of people have felt in one moment or another, either like me or like Gary. And I think it's because fundamentally, as ugly and as barbaric as our country is and has been, It's also profoundly beautiful and hopeful. And I think those two competing instincts live in most Americans. Mm. 
um, and can just be activated one way or the other. And right now we're living in a time where the people with the loudest megaphones are activating our worst demons. Mm -hmm. But it's not like there isn't another way inside of people that says, I'd rather be the hero in this story than the villain. Speaking of being a hero, of which you are one of mine, I need to better understand how it is that you activate your boss lady. And I read recently that you don't unpack between trips. And you know, I... You talk to my partner, he will tell you that in my house, there are several suitcases that are half-ass packed. Yep. Tell us how you activate your boss lady. So it's true. I'm all over the country. I, I give speeches. I do trainings. I'm lobbying. I'm interviewing people. And, of course, now it's different because I travel with my son mm-hmm. and often with my husband. And so there's a much bigger suitcase. Mm-hmm. But it's, the same principles apply. It started from out of laziness, yes. out of coming home and not wanting to spend that precious moment when mm-hmm. you come home and you're like, I am home. Mm-hmm. But now I've made a deal with myself. I keep my, my dirty unmentionables in a bag, mm-hmm. right? And so I just grab that bag, throw it in the laundry. I take my ditty bag, as I call it. Do you call it a ditty bag? You know what? What is a ditty bag? <laughs> you better give me all this work. What is a ditty bag? I have no idea what well, you're talking about. Well, it's like your about. toiletry bag. I think it's your you're speaking English, but I don't <laughs> know what you're talking bag. about. First she comes in here talking about abstemious, <laughs> or whatever that word is. Dop, now dops we're learning about and dimmies. dops and ditty bags. <laughs> so you take your ditty bag out, you take your little laundry bag out, and what are you left with? You're left with, you know, a dry clean only dress, probably a blazer, some, you know, stockings that you wore once that mm-hmm. you can wear again. Like I'm giving, yeah. you know, if there are any men listening, these are women's secrets, this right? what we do. Um, <laughs> and so why would you unpack that? 36 hours later, mm-hmm. you put it back in this, you know, your ditty bag. I mean, my whole life has changed. And I keep all of my toiletries at all times in the ditty bag. Oh, yeah. Everything. Absolutely. You don't take stuff out of the ditty bag. No, no. Oh. My toothbrush, my deodorant, all the stuff live in the ditty bag. Okay. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you'll end up on a trip with no mm-hmm. toothbrush mm-hmm. or no deodorant mm-hmm. or no face wash. Mm-hmm. Ugh, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. worst. So... We're about to go into a really important year. For all the women who are listening, what do you think that they should be thinking about that might not be obvious? Oftentimes when I meet usually women on the street, they ask me, what's going to happen? They want to know that the movie ends out okay because the movie is their lives and the lives of our planet. And my answer always to them is, it depends on what you do. Mm. This is not something we're watching. It's something we're doing. Mm -hmm. So I truly believe, you know, that's the only thing that's ever won elections, right, is an engaged, enthusiastic transformation of regular people into super citizens that are actually spending their time, their brunch hours, their weekend hours, taking off work for weeks at a time, texting and phone banking. It becomes a movement. It, it happened for Barack Obama two years in a row, two election cycles in a row, um, and, it, and it happened for Donald Trump. We weren't in those rooms, you know, but that's what was happening. Mm-hmm. And I'll be the first to admit right now, I did not do that for Hillary. I did very little work. Mm-hmm. I didn't make it 
my overriding purpose for the last few weeks of the election. I didn't think of my I thought of, I thought of my professional work as the work I was doing. Mm-hmm. And I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that needs to happen again this year, no matter who is at the top of the ticket. That said, who are the people who are inspiring that kind of activism is, I think, the question that, you know, a pundit could ask. But I don't think it's a question that voters should ask because I think voters should just be saying, who do I care about like that? Mm-hmm. You know, who do I see other people in my community caring about like that? So we were in Virginia for an historic election. And I bring that up just because um, we had a very special guest, Carrie Washington, Mm. who people might know as Olivia Pope on Scandal. And, you know, she said something really powerful that has stuck with me. It's very similar to what you said, which is people come up to her and they say, you know, I wish we had Olivia Pope Mm. to, like, fix this election. Mm -hmm. And she would say to them, but Olivia Pope is not real. Mm -hmm. She's a character on a TV show. Mm -hmm. This is actually in your hands. Mm -hmm. You've got to be the one to participate so that we can all say it's handled. (laughs) 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 And that's really what I heard from you just now. (laughs) Yeah. And what we saw in Virginia was a whole bunch of super citizens. When Heather was talking and said super citizen, I Jen, like... You could just tell she found, like, her happy place. It was like you wrapped her in a warm blanket on a cold Chicago day. She started to sway side to side. She was, like, really about it. But this is what happens when Heather talks. This is what happened. Actually, I want to know, Ajahn, what is it about Super Citizen that you like so much? Well, it means that you did everything that you could Mm. So that you wouldn't be in a position of looking back Mm -hmm. and saying, I didn't do enough. Mm -hmm. There were dozens of homes that we visited of everyday people. Like, they literally opened up their homes and volunteers would come in throughout the day in waves to get their addresses where they needed to go knock doors. And all those people, on Wednesday after Election Day, all of those people were like, I did that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's such a good feeling. It's an incredible feeling. And right now, technology is making it really easy. You can go any any of the candidates you like. Say you like Elizabeth Warren. You can go to her website and you can just get an app on your phone that allows you to organize. What's so awesome about it is it also restores a little bit of faith in your fellow Americans. Mm -hmm. Because the people you're door knocking with, the people you're calling are not in your club, they're not Mm -hmm. in your Facebook group, they are random Americana, right? Mm -hmm. And they're your neighbors. And ultimately, they care about the same things that you do. Mm -hmm. And seeing that and feeling that is very affirming at a time where it's felt like we're just on the verge of of a civil war. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, if you're not someone I know, I may not be able to trust you. It's also disruptive. Like, there was like a, a list of addresses that Alexis our Virginia director, and I got, and the houses were really far apart, and it was kind of in the cut. It Mm -hmm. was like borderline rural Mm -hmm. and lots of big trucks. And, like, I did not grow up in communities where people drove big trucks. Mm -hmm. And so I have a set of assumptions about what that's going to be like Mm -hmm. and who's going to be behind on the other side of the door. And so I would just look over at Alexis and be like, okay, we're going to knock this door. <laughs> Does anybody know we're here? <laughs> you know, just like. And on the other side would be people who are like, oh, yeah, I know I'm opening up the polls tomorrow. I already have a plan to vote. I'm going to leave work early at 2 o'clock. And, and it was just 
incredible. And I thought to myself, if I had just seen that person Mm -hmm. on the street, I never would have assumed Mm -hmm. that they would be a super citizen. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. I do. And it's beautiful. I love that. You know, I think it's so important when we talk about the power that's in everyday people's hands and that there isn't like um, a thing that's going to come and Mm. rescue everybody. Mm -hmm. And that part of that work, right, is like also connecting to the people that we would assume are not getting involved Mm -hmm. and being inspired by them. I think that if we do our jobs right, that it is going to be those people who are the light in the storm. Mm -hmm. Each of us can be the light in our own storm where we are taking action and we have the bombest guest ever (laughs) who is taking action all the time, not just on our behalf, but on her own behalf. Hmm. You're a mama now. Mm-hmm. You've said that having a baby really enforced for you why you do this work. Hmm. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? So um, anyone who has uh, maybe been pregnant and experienced the hormonal shifts that come with that, your emotional set point just gets like keyed up. I've suddenly had it where a car comes too close to me as I'm walking in the crosswalk. And I go from like zero, <laughs> zero to, to well nigh violent <laughs> So quickly. It's really strange. I've never been a crier, unlike my dear friend Aijin over here, (laughs) who's crying right now (laughs) at the thought of me being hit in the crosswalk. (laughs) You know, and I'm I just for for anyone who has children, climate change is it is the great cognitively dissonant horror show of our time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's right like we're all sitting here living our lives mm-hmm. while life as we know it is ending. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just it's it's one of those things that you can't anytime you let any bit of it in mm-hmm. it threatens to make you just fall apart. Mm-hmm. And I think having children for whom, you know, when they're my age there will be no more coral reefs, there will be cities underwater is 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 just it it's that door in to mm-hmm. that feeling. Mm. So yeah, it's freaking given me a lot more urgency and emotion about mm-hmm. climate change um having a child. I have been very lucky to be, you know, sitting in rooms as legislation was drafted a number of times in my life and to fight for legislation like the Credit Card Act of 2009, the Dodd-Frank Act of 2010, the Wall Street Reform Bill. Um, state-level democracy reforms. And the thing I really am most committed to now is seeing a Green New Deal passed mm. in, in in my near near lifetime and being in the room when that happens. Well, bless you for that because... <sighs> we can do it. We can and we are doing it. So we're almost out of time and we know you're the light in the storm. Y- you have definitely demonstrated that to us today. (laughs) Tell us what is one piece of advice that you would give to our listeners who are trying to shine bright in some of the darkest times in our nation? See the world you want. In my best moments when I'm when I'm really on purpose and I'm really in my power, as we say, Hmm. I feel like I'm in the future and it's a better future. And I'm looking back and I'm telling the people here how we got there. And I think there's so many ways and times that everyday people are focused on a goal, 
are seeing their loved ones get better, you know, and have a plan to get there, are are seeing themselves graduate from from college, or seeing themselves through the end of the workday or through the end of a task, and that ability to see what is unseen um, and to hope and to really feel what it's like to be in the the wished for future is, I think, a, a superpower that everybody has, and I think we all do better and do more and do it with more joy when we're living in the future that we want. Thank you, Heather McGee. You are the light in the storm. <laughs> I love her so much. Oh, I love you too. I'm so oh excited God. that you all will be in you. my ear. We love you so much. And to all of you lovely listeners who we also love, write to us, tweet us, tell us about how you are making your way through the storm. We're at Ijenpu and at Alicia Garza. Hashtag sunstorm represent. We can't wait to hear from you, so reach out. Ciao. Sunstorm is a project of the National Domestic Workers Alliance in collaboration with Participant. Sunstorm is executive produced by Alicia Garza, Ijen Pu, Christina Mevs Apgar, and Jess Morales Rocchetto. Sunstorm is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Producers are Jocelyn Gonzalez, Shelby Sandlin, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Mia Warren. Original music composed by Jen Kwok and Jody Shelton. I think it's with two T's. It's like a ditty bag. Ditty, oh, not ditty, yeah. like P not ditty. Like, yeah, no, not oh, like P ditty. I was, like I was thinking it was bag. a ditty bag, yeah, and I was too. about to do the. Um, <laughs> That's what I wrote down. You know what I mean? Bag. Me too. I'm still gonna call it the ditty bag because <laughs> whatever, and I'm gonna credit it to you. <laughs>